So as I mentioned last week when Tim and Kay went to Children's Church, there was a a family that called and said uh, they knew that Tim and Kay had been having car troubles and they wanted to uh, participate in gifting them financially to purchase a car. And I told them I would let us know. And I called their family in the cities, their boys, let them know. And so over the next couple weeks here, we're going to see what we can do to just come alongside this gift and bless them so that they can purchase a working vehicle. So if you want to participate in that, just uh, find me or or uh, Lynn and just uh, chat with us and we'll get the gift to them. So we have been plugging our way through the book of Joshua. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 20. And there's only a few chapters left, and it may take us a while because we're coming to the close of this uh, great book, and it closes powerfully, and I would hate to have you miss that. So uh, just keep watch, keep reading, and we'll close together. Father, we just thank you for... Your word, thank you for the opportunity and the responsibility, the privilege, the wonder we have to read words from heaven. And we can read the history of people who you love, people who loved you. We can read the history of your action and your work on the earth. And we can see your promises kept. Pray that you would help us understand more and more by reading your word and seeing you at work in the world through your spirit and your word through people, that we would come to trust you more every day. And I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts as only you can. God, you know each heart here. You know where each person is at on their journey. And pray that you would teach us from your word. You would give us hope that you would have... <coughs> Have your way among us and draw our attention off of our circumstances and on to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So you just want us to think for a moment about the word refuge and what you think about when you think of the word refuge, shelter, safe place, sanctuary. And the word refuge actually has a marvelous, amazing history, especially starting with God. The refuge, a shelter or a protection from danger or distress. That which shelters or protects from danger, distress or calamity. A stronghold. And down through history, as I had the privilege this past week, and I've been looking forward to getting to chapter 20, of Joshua down through history there are just gripping stories around the word refuge and a place to find shelter and also terrible horrible brutal stories around the word shelter and when you uh, 
learn some of the things that people have done to people in the name of refuge, in the name of shelter, uh, it's challenging. And we know that uh, God is a refuge, a place to go, and even the church, the church buildings throughout history, church buildings, the tabernacle before that was a place to meet with God, a place of refuge. And again, this week as I studied throughout history, um, there were certain times in history around the world where people were herded into church buildings and the doors were barred and the building was set on fire. There were times where the building was filled with people and then the building was uh, leveled with cannon fire and machine gun fire. And there were times where barns, barns that are sanctuaries for animals from storms and even people, and back in the day, and you'd read stories that on the prairie, they would tie a rope from their front door to the barn door, and the farmers to hold on to that rope during the storm, and that would get him to the shelter of the barn. And same thing, though, if you look up stories, you'll find that uh, people that were seeking, running to a church building during a calamity, when the armed forces were coming of another country or running to their barns and they were directed by other people go to the church that's where you can go go to the church building you'll be safe there and it was only a place to herd them like cattle to kill them and so I ran across words in my study this week like clemency and seeking asylum and forgiveness, grace, mercy. And so we have a God who has planned ahead for people's calamities and troubles and problems. And chapter 20 is written to these people as part of their history, that this was not the first time this was talked about. But uh, read with me in Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of these cities, he is to, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and to state his case before the elders of that city. They are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem, in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in, the, in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any alien living among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities 
and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. I didn't have enough time to read all the amazing stories about cities of refuge and the, the heritage and the history down through the years in places all over the world where there's sanctuaries of refuge where people who have uh, either strangers, aliens, travelers, criminals, and, and like in this situation specifically, somebody who has killed somebody unintentionally can go and find a safe place and they can find a fair trial before they are either acquitted, found not guilty, or found guilty, and then they're sentenced. But it was interesting, one of the stories was a of just around the idea of refuge. There was a tradition, and it is a tradition in many countries, where they show hospitality and protection for those seeking refuge, whether you're a traveler or a stranger from another country, a runaway or a criminal. And so this man came to this village way late in the middle of the night, and he asked for the leader of the village, who, who in that particular area, he was called a sheikh. He's an elder or a leader in the, the village. And the man came to the sheikh and said, listen, I got in a fight with one of my friends, and it I had no intention, neither one of us had any intention of what would happen and where it would lead to, but our fight, the the level raised, and it kept raising, and it didn't stop, and he was killed. And I swear it was accident, no intention, no premeditated murder, but he was killed in our fight, and I'm seeking asylum. And the sheikh received the man. And the next day when the, out of this chapter would be called the Avengers of the Blood came, the friends of the man who was killed, they told the sheikh, give this man up. And the sheikh said, no, he's come under my protection. And the sheikh, and they said to the sheikh, do you know who this man killed? And the sheikh said, no, it doesn't matter who he killed. And then they told him, the man that was killed was your son, Sheikh. Give him up. And the Sheikh said, no, he'll become my son now. And so everything that this Sheikh owns, all his inheritance, now goes to the man who would kill his own son. Sound familiar? There is protection. And then I read several stories, and you... I'm not going to belabor them, but just people that have been accused falsely for a crime they didn't commit. John Bunn spent 17 years in prison and 10 years on parole for a murder of an off-duty police officer, and he was arrested when he was 14 years old, and he didn't do it. He was set up by a rival gang. Ricky Jackson freed from prison after 39 years for wrongful murder conviction. He didn't do it. He wasn't there. He was set up. So this tradition that started from God, the scripture, I think about God and his grace even in Adam and Eve. When they committed sin and they broke trust with God, 
the soul who sins must die. A father brought his daughter into the hospital after she had been shot by a, a sniper. and She was playing in the yard during the siege on Sarajevo. How do you say that word? Sarajevo, that's right, the city of Sarajevo, under siege. And this man brought his daughter into the hospital. And on camera, he is heard asking for the sniper to come and have a cup of coffee. A ritual act of friendship and forgiveness to reaffirm their humanity to one another and sit together over a cup of coffee and hear each other's voices instead of seeking revenge. Do you know that you need a city of refuge? Do you know that you're guilty? I'm guilty. We're all guilty. But we have a refuge. We have a refuge. I had the privilege of going through Scripture, as you have also, but just to look up the word refuge and see what Scripture says about our God. And if you, you don't have to follow along because I'm going to try to go quickly and read many of the verses, and I can't read them all, obviously, but I just want you to hear what Scripture says about refuge. The first one comes from the book of Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. And if you know the story, Naomi and her husband fled during a famine to go find food. And they met a man eventually named Boaz. And Boaz said to Ruth, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then I turned to the book of Psalms, and I found this all the way through from beginning to end. Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing evermore with joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your shield as with a favor. Chapter 7. O Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Psalm 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 11. 
In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? Chapter 14. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Psalm 17. I call upon you, O God, for you will answer me and give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me. Chapter 18, the Lord is my rock and my refuge, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my strong tower. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Chapter 25. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How precious is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36. Psalm 37. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. And you can go on and on through Scripture and find... God being described as not only place of refuge, but a person of refuge. So we will look at uh, some of the history here. If you go to um, first, let's go back to the book of Numbers. And just look at some of the precedent. Numbers chapter 35 describes when Moses... Uh, the Lord said to Moses in Joshua 20 that, uh, or the Lord said to Joshua about Moses giving you places of refuge, and that was assigned in Numbers chapter 35. There were towns that were supposed to be set aside for cities of refuge. And so in Numbers chapter 35, verse 6, it says, Six of the towns you give to the Levites will be cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them 42 other towns and talks about the cities of refuge and gives them the exact locations. Verse 10, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge for which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger so that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. 
And then he gives the names of the towns there. Back in um, Exodus, let me find the reference. Exodus chapter 21 is the first mention of refuge. Exodus chapter 21, it says this, where God was giving out the laws to Moses in Exodus 21. It says, anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I will designate. So already God understands. And I just think about the grace and the mercy of God understanding the propensities of men and our wickedness and even the fact that accidents happen at the workplace and that uh, this person who has accidentally killed somebody is not the same as intentional premeditated murder. And so there were these cities set up throughout Israel and the Levites were given these six cities. And so there's some pretty amazing things that take place about this in the description. The cities of refuge were to be accessible. And we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 19 where it gives a description again of these cities and it gives some explanation of where they will be and what they will be. So in Deuteronomy chapter 19, this is long before they go into the land. This is part of the instructions, part of the provision that God made ahead of time for them. Deuteronomy 19.1, When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he has given you, and when you have driven them out and settled in towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities centrally located in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess. Build roads to them and divide them into par three parts of the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance so that anyone who kills a man may flee there. And so the description we hear that they were, they were to be accessible. There was three on the west side of the Jordan and three on the east side of the Jordan. And they were to put, to be spaciously placed and roads were to be built to them. Roads that were twice as wide as a normal road so that people would know that God provides refuge. That God wants healing. God wants forgiveness. God wants restoration. And God wants to provide. So these roads, um, they made it clear that the refugee was to be allowed to get to the place of refuge. And oftentimes, think about it, I think about it, even in the church, the church has become known as the only um, family that shoots their wounded. Instead of offering refuge sometimes and forgiveness, we want people to wallow in their sin as if we don't have any of our own. And we want to rub their faces in it when we have a God said from the beginning, He is a God of refuge. And not anywhere in any of these passages where it talks about an accidental and unintentional, um, unmeditated murder does God ever say if somebody premeditated that they just go off scot-free. They were held guilty to the court of law. But these cities of refuge were to be accessible. And there was a verse included in the Old Testament where uh, old Jewish scholars, it's in Isaiah chapter 57. It's just one little verse. And it's interesting. It says this, 
It says, and it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. And the, the Jewish scholars who have said to say this, this points directly to the roads that were to be built to the cities of refuge. So those who had in, unintentionally committed a murder could get there to get to safety. And you think about it. Where did this come from? How did this start? It made me think about Jesus hanging on the cross. He's looking down on from the cross, looking down on the people. You remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And I think about the heart of a father who would prepare ahead of time for a catastrophe like this. It said also that the cities of refuge are to be open. The gates of the city, historically, even you yourself, at night, you close your gate, you close your doors, you lock your doors. These cities were to remain open 24-7. And they were, each of the cities was set on a little bit of a high place, if not a mountain or a hill, so they could be easily seen with a right, wide road, with the obstacles removed so people could get to the place of res refuge. It just speaks such of the grace of God. It also gives description, as it did in Joshua there. You, you read it with me and you heard me read it, but you may not have noticed. It says in verse 9, the last verse, very important verse, it says, chapter 20 of Joshua, verse 9, any of the Israelites or any alien living among you, so not just for the Israelites, but for the aliens, for the strangers, for the foreigners, for those who were not of the Hebrew descent. And so the cities of refuge, not only accessible, but they were made to be available, open, 24-7, but they were also universal. Strangers, aliens, foreigners welcomed in. You could read yourself over in Iraq or other places where the historical uh, precedent of taking someone into your home who's a stranger. You can read stories about your American soldiers lost, being taken in by a family, and the father of the family or the father of the community saying, we will not hand him over even though he's our enemy. We will protect him. We will give him a safe refuge until the story is told, until he has option, he or she, but these cities of refuge were not just for the Jews. They were for the people living among them. And you think about sometimes maybe you're here this morning and you feel like a stranger. You feel like you came to a community where you may be the only one in here that you don't know somebody. And everybody else and you're a stranger, but not so. God says, come. Come to a place of refuge. Come to a place where you can be heard and accepted, welcomed, and even forgiven. And the, the cities of refuge were also irreplaceable. There was nowhere else for the one accused of wrongful murder to run to find forgiveness. Only a city of refuge. And so on the roads that were doubly wide and kept free of obstacles, there were also to be mar well marked to say city of refuge, 200 miles or whatever, but they were spaced so that you were never more than a day's walk in the nation of Israel 
from a city of refuge. The city of refuge were also based on God's grace and forgiveness and God's wisdom alone. And you read in the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's not how men act. That's how God would act. Men act differently. If you take my eye, I would take two of yours. <laughs> the only two you have. If you knock out my tooth, I'm going to knock out five or six of yours. It's not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a hand for hand with man. That was God's um, stopping the excess of revenge. I give revenge, says the Lord. I take revenge, says the Lord. He tells us to forgive. And so you think about the wisdom in the city of refuge where the accuser, the, the avenger of the blood could come and say he could make up any kind of story. God says, no, you'll stand before the elders in that particular city at the gate. You will profess and confess openly before the leaders of that town, and you will have a fair hearing. The cities of refuge were um, relational. This was another thing that I read there in verse 9. No, I read earlier, I guess. I'm sorry. It is in verse 5. If the avenger... Um, of the blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally without malice or a forethought. He is to stay in the city. Here's the verse 6. He's to stay in the city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. It's interesting. Maybe that being a high priest became a little risky when uh, you had people fleeing from uh, an unintentional murder, but I was thinking that you had options if you if you were paying attention at all about the grace that's available to you, you would investigate it more and more and find out what kind of grace is available to me. Well, if by accident I'm out in the woods with somebody and I cut a tree down and that tree happens to fall on somebody, I should know what city is the closest to run to. And I should also know which high priest is the oldest. Because you are set free from staying in that city when the high priest dies. Do you know that we have a high priest? And do you know that we're set free because of the death of our high priest? So the whole picture in Joshua chapter 20 of these cities of refuge, it goes both ways. It goes back to God forgiving and not just killing Ab and Eve right in the garden, not just killing Cain right where he killed his brother Abel, but then setting, listen, when you go into the land, I'm going to provide for you, and you provide for yourselves with these cities of refuge. So the person accused of a murder that was unintentional cannot be killed without a trial. You see the word where it says the avenger of the blood. The avenger of the blood had the right and the responsibility to hunt down the person who had taken blood and to bring them to justice, but not without a fair trial. And so we find here from the beginning of time that God made provision for unintentional sin. You go all the way back to the book of Leviticus Chapter 4, and this just speaks of the grace of God. 
Leviticus, the giving of the, the explaining of the law to the people. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect. And it goes on to explain about unintentional sin and intentional sin. Intentional sin was called the sin of the high hand, where blatantly and knowingly you walk into sin. There's a price to pay for both. But the unintentional sin of murder, if you're working out in the field and the tractor that you're driving and you don't notice hits a person, you can run to a city of refuge. It was interesting. I didn't, I can't prove this. I can't demonstrate it yet. But if you did the research, I can see the connection throughout history of in, even the idea of clemency. Clemency is granted mercy to a convicted criminal. And it can be in three ways. A reprieve, where there's an extension of the execution date so that the person that's behind bars could have more time to prove his innocence. It could be communication, which is a reduced sentence, or it could be pardoned, where you're completely free from the conviction. But the city of sanctuary had a penalty. Once you got there, you couldn't leave it. You couldn't go without a, a certain distance from that particular city or the avenger of blood have every right to take your life. But... When you're in that city, until you had a fair trial, until it was proven, or the high priest in that city died, you were kept safe. I thought about a meal, and a meal together was often throughout history an offer of peace, an offer of reconciliation. You know, we've had an argument, we've had a disagreement, let's sit down, let's have a meal together. There was a meal like that once. We're going to... Remember it today. And the Lord sat across from a man named Judas. And Judas knew that he had done. He had betrayed Jesus to the high priest. And at that meal it says Jesus dipped the bread in the sop. And he offered it to Judas. I thought, was that refuge? Was that sanctuary? Was that asylum? Was that clemency? Was he offering Judas an opportunity to free himself. It's just like Jesus. It's just like God. A couple takeaways. Just maybe think about, maybe you're here today and you're harboring something against someone. Guilty or not, you're, gonna, you're the one that's eaten alive by unforgiveness. We have a God who extends forgiveness. We have a God who makes way for brokenness. We have a God who attempts to the death of his own son, restoration, forgiveness, renewal, reconciliation. Could we be a church like that? Could we be a community like that? Where instead of finding 
more guilt and shame, people could find forgiveness. Instead of finding a place where your sin is brought up in your face, certainly to be forgiven of it, not to have your face wiped in it. But what if we could be a community where people would say, hey, there's a refuge there. You could go there. You could tell your story. People would listen to you. Now, it doesn't mean you just turn a blind eye to any sin, intentional or otherwise. But God had provided a way. He has provided a way for forgiveness. He has provided a way, and that's through the blood of his son Jesus, your Savior and mine. So whatever you're carrying, you can lay it down. You can realize that we have a God who is a refuge, a rock and a refuge, an ever-present help in times of trouble, a place where we run, a place of safety, a place of acceptance. And as I, I didn't get to read all the verses in the Psalms, but it was the cries of a people. And they said, Hear, Lord, hear, Lord. Is this the place where we can finally be received and accepted? Can I bring myself? Can I bring my junk? Can I bring my sin? Can I bring it to you? As they cried out to the Lord, and they said that, yes, indeed, he is a God who is a refuge. It was interesting for me, just as I was reading through Joshua, and you've probably read it through, I've read it through many times, and chapters like this, I had to stop studying because it was just so overwhelming thinking about both the, the wickedness and the beauty, the wickedness and the wonder of history connected with refuge, connected with forgiveness, connected with sanctuary, connected with reconciliation and renewal and new life out of tragic, horrible situations. And I thought, well, first time I read through Joshua chapter 20, I was just like, going, well, this doesn't say anything. This is just, you know, a little story about some cities. But it's much more than that. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. It's the extension of what God has done throughout history in his love and his grace to make himself accessible, to make himself available, to make himself universal to any tribe, tongue, or nation, any individual of any color who could come to him. And he's irreplaceable. You can't be without. You can't be without a place of refuge in your life, a place to go where you know that because of the blood of Jesus and putting your faith and trust in that blood, you are forgiven and you and I can stand before a holy God for one reason, because he made a way. He made a way. And the road to him has been removed of obstacles by his own hand and by his own intention to draw us to him. As we come to the Lord's table today, the first day of a new month, the sign of springtime in the sunshine,
in the wind, in the length of the day, a reminder of renewal, reconciliation, a reminder of hope, a reminder of the sacrifice paid so that we could come to Jesus, so that my sin, that your sin, was forgiven by a Savior on a cross as we put our trust in him. When Jesus was at the table with the disciples, he reminded them of the covenant out of Jeremiah, reminded them that God had promised them forgiveness. And it says that he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. He said, this is my body that was given for you for the forgiveness of 